Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at core.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit core.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words of scripture. Our first passage today is from Psalm 22. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. And in John 15, we read these words. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. And in the gospel of Luke, we hear, Father, if it's your will, take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not my will, but your will must be done. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of scripture. A number of years ago, a woman in our congregation sent me an email to tell her story about her battle with infertility. For years, she and her husband had wrestled with infertility and the pain of that. And they had people praying for them and praying. They went through fertility treatment. And finally, it was amazing. They got the news that she was pregnant. It was so exciting. And their prayers had been answered and the prayers of so many other people. But halfway through the pregnancy, the doctors came to her and said, you cannot survive carrying this child to term. You have an illness. You will not be able to do this. This child will not survive. We have to end the pregnancy. She was devastated, devastated. The child was not, you know, the, the pregnancy was not far enough along where the child could be carried to term. Her family, she, she said, I'm willing to take that risk. I'm willing to die to bring this child into the world. And her family says, you can't do that. We are not willing to lose you. After the pregnancy ended, she said, I prayed, God, why didn't you take me? Please take me. I don't want to live anymore. Please take me. Such pain she was experiencing. And then in her email to me, she wrote, I had never wrestled with the will of God. Now my life and faith depended upon it. I had always thought God could and would do anything if enough people prayed, but people had and God didn't. Who was God? What good is God? And the experience led this young woman to turn away from her faith, to stop believing in God for a time. The, the anger, the hurt, the disappointment with God to just say, I don't think I even believe in you anymore. And what's fascinating about this is at that time, this young woman was a pastor of a small church. But even as a pastor of a small church, she struggled because of the deep pain of unanswered prayer. Now you've had prayers that were unanswered and some of them were not consequential, but some of them were just like this. They were their prayers for people you deeply loved and the prayers were not answered and you just struggled. How can I reconcile a good and loving God who hears our prayers, but doesn't do anything to stop this? And you know, you're not the first to do that. You go to Psalms and you'll find in the Psalms and throughout scripture times where the people of God prayed and they were disappointed because God hadn't answered their prayers. Psalm 22, two, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. 
Today, we're going to talk about unanswered prayer as we continue our series of sermons on God's suffering and hope. And as we do that, I hope to help us together think about how does prayer work? What is prayer? And what do we do with unanswered prayers? So every day I pray, I pray multiple times every day. I pray for Church of the Resurrection members. I've over the last 32 years prayed for thousands of people here at Resurrection. There were some I pleaded with God to be able to heal them and they did not survive their illness. There were others, there were times where something happened and I thought, I don't know, but that seems like that's a pretty clear answer to prayer. And in my own life, I've had on a couple of occasions, moments where I thought, I feel like God has just stepped in and intervened. But most of the time, the way God works in our world, in my life and in your life, is God works through natural processes, the natural laws that God created, the people around us through our own activities. And God works through those to bring healing. And sometimes we don't see that healing happen. Sometimes it can't happen with simply the hands of other people. Our disappointment in life and in faith when it comes to prayer is in part because we don't see what Jesus said would happen happening in our lives. So let me just remind you of what we read in Matthew 21, 21, and 22. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, if you have faith and do not doubt, even if you say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. Whatever you ask for in prayer with faith, you will receive. That seems pretty straightforward. If you take Jesus literally here, you have him saying, whatever you ask for, as long as you believe for it, you're going to receive it. But is that how it actually works? So I think about this, and, 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 and if it did work that way, what would life be like? So I'm thinking about people in the Major League Baseball. So the Kansas City Royals uh, right now, or at least the last time I checked, six and 20. Not the season anybody was expecting. There are 30 Major League Baseball teams, and I'm pretty sure there are people at every one of those, you know, who are fans of every one of those teams who pray, God, please, please let the A's have it this year. Let the A's, you know, make it to the World Series. Let the Royals make it to the World Series, the Giants, whoever it is. We find ourselves praying, you know, sometimes people pray for their favorite sports teams. Imagine if we took Jesus literally, and, and there are 30 different teams with fans at every team playing for, praying for their team to win the World Series. Is this logically even possible? Of course, we recognize that it's not logically possible. Imagine a seller of a home and a buyer. So I have been with people who were deeply disappointed that their, ha their house had not sold yet. Now in this market, houses are selling pretty quickly. But, but imagine somebody who's saying, you know, God, you know how much I need to get out of, the, out of this house. You know how much money I need to make. I'm gonna price it at this price because that's what I need out of the house, regardless of what the market value is of the house, right? And, and then not spending any money to fix the house up or get it ready. And they put it on the market because they think they have prayed hard enough that somehow God's gonna answer, the, you know, answer their prayer. And, and then you know, imagine those who might be Catholic or those Protestants who are influenced by, by this sort of Catholic ritual of buying a statue of St. Joseph. You know, so you can buy these little kits. Here's what it looks like at Ace Hardware. It's only $9.99. What a deal if it can help you sell your house for more than it's actually worth. And so you, you take your, house, your, uh, your statue of St. Joseph and you dig a hole out there by the sign or by the sidewalk or there's several places you can put it. And then you're supposed to put the statue of St. Joseph uh, head down, face down, and you either point his feet towards your house or you point them away from your house towards your new house. There's several different ways you can do it. And then you say the certain prayer and then St. Joseph's supposed to help you sell your house, maybe even for more than it's worth without having to fix it up. What a deal would that be? Except for the buyer. The deal for the buyer is not such a good deal, right? Imagine if God answers our prayers like this and then he forces somebody to buy a house they don't really want, that doesn't really meet their needs and that isn't, you know, isn't taken care of the way it should be taken care of for a price that's higher than market value. Can you see the problem with this? And if you're the seller, it's a great deal. But if you're a buyer, it doesn't seem like God is just or fair when God makes you buy something you don't want because somebody prayed really hard. 
I think of many people who search for jobs. And one man in particular I knew who had been really clear with God. He needed a job that paid $100,000 a year. So he was clear with God. He prayed really hard. He turned in the prayer request cards. And then he was disappointed that he didn't get these jobs. So he'd show up at these jobs. He had interviews. He got to the finalist around in a couple of different places. And, and again, the other candidate was chosen. And so he was angry with God, disappointed with God, that God hadn't answered his prayers. And he needed the money and he was in trouble financially. And, he, and, and I think about this for just a minute. You know, so I interview candidates, not very many, but some of the candidates for positions here at Resurrection. And when I interview them, we'll usually have two or three finalists. And just imagine if, uh, if they came in and there was one who seemed eminently more qualified or who had the skills that we really needed, but this person had prayed really hard, right? And somehow we were forced to hire the person who'd prayed really hard, even though they weren't the best candidate. They were close, but they might not have been the best candidate for the position. Does that seem fair to anybody? And if you're the one who, who has been interviewing and somebody else prayed really hard and they got the job because people were praying really hard for them, does that seem right to you? So somewhere in all of this, you know, we find the literal meaning of what Jesus says seems to conflict with the character of God, the idea of justice. All right, 20 years ago, next month, there was a film that came out and I really enjoyed it. It's called Bruce Almighty. Some of you may have seen it. And, uh, and in Bruce Almighty, there is a man, he's longing for the anchor job at a local news station. He's a ranging reporter. He's, he's longing for the anchor job. He's been praying for this anchor job. Now he's a little narcissistic. And, uh, and, and when you've watched the film, the lead uh, actor in it is Morgan Freeman, who's gonna play God and he makes a great God. And then Jim Carrey is the lead actor. He's the one who wants the job as the anchor. And his uh, girlfriend is Jennifer Aniston. And, and Steve Carell is another one of the, you know, the stars in the show. Anyway, so here's what happens. He finds out one day that he didn't get the job. He'd had his name in there. He was certain they were gonna announce him as, gonna, as the next anchor. And then while he's actually reporting on a story, he finds out that he is not gonna be the next anchor. And he just goes ballistic. And he gets so angry with God. And here's a little of what he says about God. Take a look. God is a mean kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass, and I'm the ant. He could fix my life in five minutes if he wanted to, but he'd rather burn off my feelers and watch me squirm. So disappointed with God, he goes driving off, and I might share the next clip in, uh, in next week's sermon, but he goes driving off and, uh, and angry and frustrated with God, and, and in the midst of that, starts saying some really harsh things to God as he's praying. And, uh, and the next thing you know, God shows up, introduces himself, and he's going to set the trajectory of the, of the rest of the film and of Jim Carrey's life, Bruce's life. So here's the next clip where he introduces himself to Bruce. Take a look. Who are you? I'm the one. Huh? Creator of the heavens and the earth. Alpha and Omega. Oh, I see where this is going. Bruce, I'm God. All right. So then he says, you know, I've heard the things you said about me and I don't really appreciate them. And so I, I think, you know, if you think you can do a better job than me, I'm gonna let you try it. So he endows Bruce with all of his powers and Bruce walks out and he thinks this is pretty cool to begin with. And then all of a sudden he starts getting these prayer requests, right? And he can hear them in his head. And finally, he's, you know, he finds a, a program or develops a, you know, software program where the prayer requests will come to the software program. And I want you to see what happens as he's trying to process all of these prayer requests just from Buffalo, New York. Take a look. You've got prayers. Welcome to the Revelation Superhighway. We bless, no mess. Downloading now 1,527,503 prayer requests. Yes, to all. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now everybody's happy. 
But was everybody happy when everybody got what they wanted? No. A lot of times the things we pray for and we think we want are absolutely not the things that we should have. And then when everybody gets what they want, you find almost nobody gets what they want. So as an example, there were, I think, 400,000 people who won the lottery. They all only got $17 from it. There's a, there's a whole series of things that, that are set in motion by this uh, plan to answer everybody's prayers, yes. And in the end, there are riots in the street. And uh, Bruce finds himself having made a catastrophic decision in saying yes to everyone's prayers. In our world, God answering yes to all of our prayers seems like a great idea. But you know, if that happened, we wouldn't need doctors, we wouldn't need nurses, we wouldn't need medical researchers, we wouldn't need hospitals, we wouldn't need health insurance, we wouldn't need anything to do with the healthcare system. And there's a whole lot of other things we wouldn't need. You know, if you were a professional ball player, football or baseball, you wouldn't need to work out. You wouldn't need to try very hard. You just pray really hard and suddenly you show up and you have superhuman strength and hopefully you win the game, except for the fact that the people on the other side are also praying just like this. And when we look at the rest of our life, we find that there are so many things that if, if we got what we'd asked for, in the end, there would have been a lot that was lost. I think about in 1976, and I shared this a few weeks ago, my parents got a divorce. I was in seventh grade and, and, uh, and during that time, I remember praying. Now at this point, I still had a little bit of faith, but I was about to lose my faith. And I think this decision, this, this divorce was a part of that. And so I was praying, okay, God, if you're there, please make my mom and dad stay together. Please make them stay together. Please don't let them get divorced. I would plead with God for this, but my parents still got divorced, right? And, and so for me, it was like, well, what good are you, God? You didn't save my parents from getting divorced. Now, I suppose that God could have done that and forced them to stay together in some way, and, and, but that isn't what really happened. And then I think about, well, what happened in the years after that? See, if, if that had happened, I think my family might still be living in Prairie Village. I, I might not have ever uh, been invited to go to church uh, at the church where I came to meet Christ. I wouldn't have met a girl named LaVon. I wouldn't have, you know, there's, there's a thousand things I wouldn't have done. My whole life trajectory would have been different had God answered that one prayer. Now, I'm not saying that God didn't answer that prayer and God wanted my parents to get divorced. I don't think divorce is God's will, but there are times where it's gonna happen. And there are times that marriages are broken and lost and, and, and unhealthy. And, but here's the thing is that God hasn't stopped working because our prayer wasn't answered. And in this case, God continued to work and God, so God takes whatever's happening in our world and he continues to navigate in our hearts and our lives and bringing people across our path and, and helping us experience certain things. And then we look back and go, God, thank you that you didn't answer that prayer at that time. Garth Brooks, thank God for unanswered prayers, right? I think about 1979 and I started dating this girl and I was head over heels. Oh my gosh, I'd never felt such love for a girl before in my life. And I was just smitten. And we dated for not very long, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, I can't remember now. And then as some of you remember, uh, this girl came through with her best friend who was driving the car. I was working the Hardee's drive-through at 105th and Metcalf and, and they pulled up, you know, right up to the drive-through window and, and, uh, and her friend Jenny says, you know, Stacy's breaking up with you and off they drove. And man, my heart was broken. I went in the break room, you know, and my supervisor had to come in because I was crying back there. You know, this girl, I, I prayed, God, you know, I love her so much, you know, help her to, you know, I'll pray she'll be the one. And, uh, and then, you know, the next year, I started dating my best friend, LaVon. We've been married 42 years now. And I think of all that would have been lost had God answered that prayer. It wasn't that God intentionally didn't answer the prayer. It's just that God doesn't make girls continue to go out with boys they don't want to go out with. I wasn't the right guy for her. But in the middle of all that, there's, there's ways that God works, connecting us together, opening our hearts, things happen, and you know, my daughter, Danielle, and my daughter, Rebecca, would have never been born had God answered my prayer in 1979 or the prayer in 1976, right? And my granddaughter, Stella, 
And I might never have become a pastor of this church. And you know, so much of what this church has become as a result of LaVon's relationship with me and how she encouraged me and guided me and the conversations we had and the dreams we dreamt resulted in Church of the Resurrection. None of that would have been here had God answered my prayer in 1976 or 1979. I think about some of the prominent prayers that went unanswered in scripture. And there's two in particular I'll mention to you. There's lots of examples, but, but I think about the apostle Paul who prays, uh, he tells us, he said, I, I had a thorn in the flesh, uh, a messenger of Satan, he calls it. Nobody knows what that is. It might've been a macular degeneration or some kind of degenerative eye disorder. Could have been, uh, it could have been mental illness, could have been uh, anxiety or depression. It might've been you know, a struggle with, with some desire that was not appropriate or some struggle with his faith. We, we simply don't know. We know that he said, I prayed three times for God to take it away, three times. And this is the apostle Paul. I prayed three times for God to take it away. Instead, God said, no. And then this is what God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made known in your weakness. And then I think about Jesus on the night that he would be arrested. He's praying in the garden of Gethsemane. He's pleading with God. He's, he's perspiring drops of blood. The, one of the gospels says he throws himself in the ground and he prays this prayer, Father, take this cup of suffering from me. Do you remember there was another part of that prayer he prayed too? Yet not my will, but thy will be done. Even Jesus, the son of God, had a prayer that was not answered by his father. Now, some would say, well, all of our prayers are answered, and I appreciate this. Uh, sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes it's maybe later, and sometimes it's yes. I think that's right. I believe that's right. But at the same time, what it feels like in that moment is a God who's not hearing, not paying attention, but doesn't care. Let's go back to what Jesus said. Jesus often preaches and teaches using hyperbole. What is hyperbole? It's an exaggeration to make a point. And you use hyperbole from time to time. You might say, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Really? Could you? Would you? Or, or, or you might say, you know, and this happens in our house where I or Levon will say to the other one, you know, I've told you this 10,000 times or a thousand times. Did we really? Or did we say it twice? Uh, and, and then I think about, you know, uh, I have occasionally some, you know, my feet, my shoes will sometimes hurt. And, and, uh, and you know, I might be saying, well, my, my feet are just killing me right now. Well, really? Are my feet killing me? Or do they just hurt a little bit and need a foot massage? All right, so thinking about this, Jesus uses hyperbole. In fact, he uses it a lot in the Synoptic Gospels and the Gospels. He uses it a lot. You can think of examples. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. You know, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's using that here too, an exaggeration to make a point. Listen again, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, even if you say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. Whatever you ask for in prayer with faith, you will receive. Is it really true that if we prayed hard enough with faith, we can move a mountain literally into the sea? No, Jesus never did that. Nobody else is gonna do that. What he's saying is trust and have faith when you pray that God is listening and hearing you. And in some way that you may not understand, your prayer will be answered or may be answered. Sometimes the answer may be no. All right, so what's the primary point of praying then? I've had people ask me this, like if God isn't gonna, you know, if, if God already knows everything, and God knows what I need before I speak it, which is what we find in the New Testament. And, and if God you know, is, isn't needing my advice on how to run the universe, and God already wants to do all, everything that's good, then why am I praying? What is the point of my praying? So let's think about that for a minute. Uh, some years ago, I asked people on Facebook about their experience with prayer. A man named Jim wrote on the Facebook page, maybe thinking of prayer as something that needs to be answered is asking the wrong question. Maybe prayer is something like entering into a relationship or yielding our lives to God. Maybe it's less a transaction and more of an investment or even a communion. And I think Jim's right. 
Or you'd imagine a relationship, any relationship with you, you have with your parents, if you're married, with a spouse, with your kids, with your best friend. And just imagine that the entire relationship was built on that person asking you for stuff all the time. It was never, how are you? Or I care about you? Or let's just talk? Or, you know, how's life? It was always, could you please help me out in this situation? Can you please give me something here? What kind of relationship would that be? And yet for many of us, that's what our relationship in prayer looks like with God. It's constantly transactional. It's always asking for something. And is that really how prayer works? And I think about others who have prayed. I, there was a woman who said to me on my Facebook page, Anne is her name. She said, prayer too often has become our way of instructing God on how to run the world. To me, it's simply conversation with God. And then she wanted to, to offer a great analogy. She suggested that prayer might be like what we experienced when we were children and we skinned a knee and we climbed into our parents' lap and they held us tight until we stopped crying. They didn't take away the skin knee. They couldn't do that. What they did do is they let us know that we were safe in their arms and they were gonna walk with us in the middle of our pain. Maybe prayer is more like that. Now, I'm not suggesting that miracles don't happen and that we shouldn't ask God for the things that we need or pray for other people. I think we should. But miracles are not God's ordinary way of working in the world. God doesn't usually suspend the laws of nature because we prayed hard enough or had enough faith or had enough people praying on the prayer chain for us. God's ordinary way of working in our world is through people, through us. And so as we think about that, when I pray, you know, I, I pray for my kids. I lay before God my burdens, my concerns. I, I lay before him, you know, my love for my kids. God, you know how much I love Danielle. You know how much I love Rebecca. You know how much I want them to know you and to love you. You know my desire for the kind of life that they will have and, and the blessings I want for them and the, and the care for them. And, and in the middle of all this, I pray that, but I also know that they have free will and they have some say in the matter and they make decisions and other people make decisions. And so so what I feel though is I'm letting God know this is, what I, this is how much I care about my kids. It makes me love my kids more. It causes me to do more, you know, to do what I can do to see those kind of hopes and dreams fulfilled in their lives. But I also know at least I've entrusted them to God's care that, they, that God knows and is watching over them even if the laws of nature still apply to my children and even if human free will might still bring harm to them. I know that they are, they are before God's heart and mind as I lay them before him. All right, in Bruce Almighty, uh, when God responds, so Bruce shows up and he says, God, I've made a disaster of everything. I, I gave everybody what they wanted and there's you know, riots on the street. And there's a disaster, you know, it's all disastrous. You know, what should I do? And I really appreciated this little clip. Take a listen. Not as easy as it looks, is it, son? This God business. They're all out of control. It's mayhem, I, I don't know what to do. I just gave them all what they wanted. Yeah. But since when does anyone have a clue about what they want? So do I do. Potting your soup is not a miracle, Bruce. It's a magic trick. A single mom who's working two jobs and still finds time to take her kid to soccer practice, that's a miracle. A teenager who says no to drugs and yes to an education. That's a miracle. People want me to do everything for them. What they don't realize is they have the power. You want to see a miracle, son? Be the miracle. I love that. Again, that points to our role in answering our own prayers or answering someone else's prayers. That, that when we pray, God is expecting us not only to pray, but to work. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Let me suggest just a couple of other ideas when it comes to prayer and the power of prayer and why we're meant to pray. 
One of those is that when we pray for other people, we also are giving something. I'm not just talking about the quick prayer that we say for somebody, not really even thinking about it. I'm talking about when you're on your knees pleading on, you know, for someone else. When you're sometimes I've laid flat on my face, they call it laying prostrate before God, and I lay flat on my face, you know, pleading with God. And when we do that, I think there is this idea that has merit that we are also conveying some of our own spiritual strength, some of our own power, some of our own love and empathy to them. We're somehow giving that to them. You say, well, how exactly does that work? Well, I'm not exactly sure, but, but I think maybe from the area of physics, we might find some ideas for this. So in 1964, somebody invented a way to harness electricity and to communicate it, to send it via a microwave beam across space, across some distance. In this case, it was at the uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratories, 1964, and somebody had come up with an with a, um, electric motor to power a helicopter, a very simple helicopter, and they created a way of being able to send electricity to that electrical motor using microwave signals. And when they did that, this helicopter began to rise off the ground. It rose up, I think, as high as 60 feet. It's amazing. Without any wires attached, there was power that was transmitted through this microwave beam. Later on, it wasn't microwave, it was some other technology, but in 1970, I think it was 1975, NASA conducted the Goldstone experiment where they transferred 30 kilowatts of electricity across three quarters of a mile. And uh, I was watching the clip of this this week. Take a look, this was when the experiment was, experiment was finally conducted. And from this, uh, this disc here, they're communicating three quarters of miles across the electricity that is lighting the lights that you see across the way. I mean, it's very interesting. And, and this technology uh, lay dormant for a while, but it's beginning to be redeveloped. And, and there's a couple of items on the market right now where you can charge your cell phones or other things without touching a pad, without touching anything. You can, you can share that electricity with these devices. And the thought is that you'll be able to do a lot more than that in the decades ahead. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about quantum mechanics and how this idea that two particles that are entangled, even though they're at a great distance from each other, when one spins one way, it begins to affect the spin of the particle, the entangled particle at some distance away. And I began to wonder, is it possible that's a metaphor for how prayer works, that when I'm praying, and as I pray for you, and I'm earnestly praying that somehow I'm giving something of myself to bless you, to help you, and then, of course, you know, it leads me, I'm laying this before God and asking God to work in your heart and mind and through the doctors, but there's something of myself I'm communicating, I'm giving to you in that earnest prayer for you. I mean, I really like this idea that we are giving more than just, you know, we're not just asking God for help for you, but we're also giving somehow strength to you. I think about that because there have been times when I have come to church and I was either sick and yet I still needed to preach or I needed to do something else. I was sick and, and just felt just no energy at all. And then, you know, somewhere during the day, I feel a jolt of energy. And, and it, maybe it was hormones. Maybe it was, uh, you know, maybe it was adrenaline. But I often have people tell me they pray for me every day. I've had people say, you know, I prayed for you yesterday afternoon. And it was yesterday afternoon when I began to feel that surge of power that strengthened me for a time. And so often when I feel that, I think somebody's praying right now. I think about uh, a man in our congregation, some of you know his story, Jay Williams. He died years ago from cancer, just had their first child, he and Kathy. And, and, uh, and I went to pray with him and I would continue to pray over and over and over again. I was pleading with God, God, please give us a miracle. I, I pray, you know, for this one in particular, please, you know, heal Jay and prayed for the doctors and everything else. Well, that healing didn't come the way I had prayed for. But I noticed something. There would be times I'd, before I'd go to bed at night, I would lay flat on the floor, again, prostrate before God. I would lay flat on the floor and I would pray, God, help Jay to have an okay night tonight in the hospital. He would have been throwing up you know, throughout the night. Please help him. And I would pray that. And I don't know if it was God directly intervened 
or it was the energy that I was giving to him while I was praying. And I'm sure I was not the only one praying that. But I found on the days when I would pray that, most of those days I would show up at the hospital and I'd ask, how, how was it last night? How did you do? And he'd say, you know, I had a great night's sleep and I didn't throw up at all. And then there'd be days I'd forget and I'd show up at the hospital. I remember the first time this happened, I showed up and I realized I had not prayed for him the night before. And I showed up and I said, tell me, tell me how last night was. Adam, I threw up over and over and over again through the night. Now, I'm not taking that all as my responsibility and I'm not saying it was to my credit. I just think I was one of probably many people who were trying to somehow in praying for him, give him something of our strength while we were praying. I can't prove that to you. I'm just saying that I've wondered if that's not partly how prayer works. I'll also share with you as I think about how prayer works, that when we pray, we also are opening our hearts. When we give something to God, we are releasing it and we are letting go of the anxiety that we often experience in life. So we know in psychosomatic illnesses, the brain has a lot of power and our anxiety can raise our blood pressure up and our higher blood pressure or hypertension ends up affecting other parts of our body. And there's something to the idea of being able to lower the anxiety level in our minds that helps us to find healing or be released from symptoms. And so many times when Jesus was ministering to people, you might notice in the gospels, he says, your faith has made you well. You're trusting in God with your life. You're trusting your life to God has made you well, has taken away some of this pain. I remember in one instance, instance where Jesus finds a man, he's been crippled, uh, paralyzed, and not crippled, but paralyzed. And, uh, and Jesus comes to him and Jesus doesn't say, you know, I heal you. He says, uh, he says, your sins are forgiven. And it's interesting, he gets up and walks. People are stunned, like Jesus forgave his sins and he gets up, gets up and walk, walks. But what strikes me in that is that this man's illness was likely psychosomatic. There was some tremendous guilt he had in his life. And when Jesus released him from the guilt, he was released from the paralysis. I mean, sometimes this is how prayer works in our lives. The apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So somewhere when we're praying for ourselves or we know other people are praying for us, there is a possibility of a release from that anxiety that might actually be inhibiting our healing or contributing to our illness. I'm reminded of what that old gospel hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. All right, a couple of last thoughts on prayer before we, before we stop. Ora et labora. You've heard me perhaps teach this before. It's a Latin phrase. I got it from the Episcopalians who got it from the Catholics, but ora et labora means, means pray and work. Ora means prayer, labora means work, pray and work. And what this reminds me of is that prayer is meant to move us to action. It's not enough just to pray for somebody else. We are meant to pray and work. And, and what I find in my own life is when I'm praying for something or someone persistently, it begins to tune my heart towards that person or that thing. So prayer actually changes us. It's not about changing the heart of God. It's about changing our own hearts and seeing us move to action as we pray for someone else. So it's not enough simply to pray when you can do something for that person and maybe taking a meal by or mowing a lawn or maybe calling and just maybe showing up and just sitting with somebody. But we're meant to do something alongside of our prayers. I found that when we pray for things like justice, so when people during the abolitionist movement in America were countering slavery and were trying to fight against it, it wasn't enough for them simply to pray, God, please end slavery. God, please end slavery and use me to help do it. That's the prayer, 
right? And when it comes to racial justice in our, in our community, in our world, when it comes to the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 1960s and continuing on to the present day, it's not enough to say that was bad. Oh God, please help people. No, it's God, please help me to help people. Use me as an instrument of your healing. Now, when we think about prayer that way, we find that what Jesus said makes a lot of sense. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, even if you say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. Whatever you ask for in prayer with faith, you will receive. When you pray for justice, you pray for mercy, you pray for someone to come alongside your friend and to care for them, and then you act upon that prayer, you will receive what you have prayed for by faith. Remember what James says, faith without works is dead. I would say the same is true of prayer many times, that when we're praying for someone else, faith without works really has no power at all unless we're willing to do something about our prayer. All right, so that leads to one last question. And here's the question that people often ask me, you know, why is it that we give, you know, thanks to God and we give credit to God for all the good things, but we don't blame God for all the bad things. And there's a very simple answer to that. When it comes to the bad things, we have understood last week's sermon primarily focused on this, but we understand that we live in a a world where there are natural processes that maintain the, the equilibrium of our planet. And sometimes we get in the way of those and we have natural disasters. We don't blame God for that. We understand that God created the world so that it could sustain life. And sometimes this is part of what happens. We understand that in our bodies, we have 37 trillion cells and sometimes one goes haywire and it continues to produce more cells who cannibalize other cells. We call that cancer. We understand and we fight against that in a variety of ways with medication and, and, and continuing research. We understand that. We don't blame God for all of those things. We understand this is the way the world works. We understand that we have human freedom and we can make decisions that end up having consequences for us or other people can make decisions with their freedom that hurts us. We don't blame God for that. We thank God that we have freedom. Right? So we're not blaming God for all of those things. What we are saying is that in an ultimate sense, the entire cosmos belongs to God. We recognize the name Yahweh itself means I am that I am. I'm existence itself and everything is contingent upon God. And so when I sit down at the table to thank God at mealtime, I'm not thanking God for putting the food on my plate. Somebody else did that. And I'm recognizing there's farmers out there who grew the food and I thank God for them too. But in an ultimate sense, the planet that that supports and sustains life is a gift from God. My life is a gift from God. Every day, the air that I breathe, it's all gift. And so we thank God for the ultimate blessing that comes in life. But we recognize that much of the harm or pain that happens in the world is not God's doing, but it's our doing, or it's the forces of nature that are also necessary to support and sustain life. All right. So four years after Bruce Almighty came out, there was a sequel that was released. It was called, uh, it was called Evan Almighty. And in this case, uh, Morgan Freeman was still God, but now, uh, now Steve Carell, who is the lead role. And, uh, and God calls Steve Carell to build an ark in his backyard. And uh, he's harassed. And, and he and his wife are already on, this, you know, on the rocks. Their marriage is on the rocks. They're, they're struggling a bit. And, uh, and in the scene that you're about to see, his wife is played by Lauren Graham, uh, Bruce, or uh, excuse me, uh, God, Morgan Freeman shows up in this diner where uh, Evan's wife is, who's struggling, you know, with her marriage and with pain. And I want you to hear what he says about prayer and about how God answers prayer. Take a listen. Let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If they prayed for courage, does God give them courage, or does he give them opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for the family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or does he give them opportunities to love each other? 
gotta run. A lot of people to serve. I love that clip. And in my life, I've had plenty of unanswered prayers or prayers that weren't answered the way that I prayed them. Most of them I look back on and I go, thank God that that prayer wasn't answered the way I asked it. There are times I look back and I still grieve the pain that happened. And I, you know, I understand why, but I'm still saddened by it. And I still pray. And when I pray, I feel like I'm climbing up into my father's lap and he's holding me. Sometimes when I pray, I feel like I'm letting go of a burden that I can't get rid of any other way. And it stops me from worrying and spinning. When I pray, sometimes I am praying so hard for somebody that makes me love them even more and it leads me to action. Prayer changes me and it empowers me. And I believe it helps all of us when we turn to God and we pray. So that leads me to return to the place we started the sermon with the young woman who, who lost her child partway through her pregnancy. The rest of her email that she sent, she sent the email over a decade ago. The incident happened 18 years ago. And, uh, and she described her anger and disappointment with God subsiding. And she knew that God doesn't cause the death of infants or infertility. She said, my question changed from why to what now? And she came to experience God walking with her, comforting her, and that maybe God was gonna do something in the midst of the pain. She told me how in the aftermath of their loss, she and her husband began talking about adoption. And they learned that there were three children in Russia, three little girls, four, five, and six, who had no parents. Undoubtedly, if they knew about God at that time in Russia, they were praying, please God, give us a mommy and a daddy. Here's a picture of these three kids along with, uh, with the Holiday family and uh, Chris and Lisa. And this picture was taken in Russia when they went to visit these kids they were able to adopt them. And 18 years ago, they came to live here with Chris and Lisa as their mommy and daddy. Chris and Lisa were the answer to their prayers. These kids were the answer to Chris and Lisa's prayers. And many of you know, Chris is one of our pastors at Resurrection West and Lisa served on our pastoral team for many years. I stopped by the house of this family not long ago. Uh, Chris had had a fall and, and a concussion that he's been recovering from. And I stopped by to pray with them. And, and as we were there, I got caught up on what's been happening with their kids, with these girls. and. And, uh, and the fact that two of the girls now have children of their own. And so they have three grandkids and it's just amazing. The girls are now 22, 24, and 26. And I began thinking to myself as I, as I was sitting there, I wonder how different these kids' lives would have been if they'd been raised in an orphanage in Russia, which may very well have happened if things had happened differently in Chris and Lisa's life with this baby. Now I'm not saying, in fact, I absolutely do not believe that God took their child's life and cause Lisa to get sick so they could raise these other three children. I don't think that's how it works. What I do think is that God promises to bring beauty from ashes, joy from sorrow, and, the, and that he uses all of the pain in the world and redeems it and brings something good from it when we trust him. And that's what happened with Chris and Lisa. Take a look, this is the uh, latest picture that, that they have. And I look at this family and I just think, what a beautiful picture of the grace of God. That's how prayer often works. And that's part of why we pray. Let's pray. And I'd like to invite you to pray. Just whisper this prayer under your breath. God, thank you for everything. I offer my life to you. Use me to be the, to be the answer to someone else's prayers. Thank you for every good thing 
Use me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.